Hi guys. So in this episode, we actually got to go to Parliament to talk to Conservative MP for Plymouth Moorview, Johnny Mercer. Johnny also toured Afghanistan three times in the British Army and wrote about it vividly in his book, We Were Warriors. The conversation touches on a number of issues, going from veterans' mental health to Johnny's own childhood issues with OCD. We'd urge you to check out the work Johnny's doing, particularly in veterans' health and mental health more generally, and we hope you enjoy the show. So I'm here with Johnny Mercer, MP for Plymouth View. Plymouth Moorview. Plymouth Moorview yeah. and author of We Were Warriors, which is yeah. a really fantastic read. Uh, have you read it? I have read it. I actually smashed it in two days, which I was really? quite proud of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I've never really read anything. I've never really read anything like military before. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. dad's big into it, but okay. I quite enjoyed it. Oh, good. Oh, which is, which oh, is, that's yeah. good. Hopefully it was quite sort of accessible for yeah. people yeah, who are, you know, definitely. don't usually pick up those sorts of definitely. things. Um, so should we start with a bit of a background about who you are, yeah. what your relationship personally and kind of professionally is to mental health? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, well, um, yeah, Johnny Mercer, I mean, I was a, a soldier for 14 years. Um, yeah. And I became, uh, over that time, sort of increasingly fed up with politicians. And one of the one of the key areas around that actually was around mental health, um, and how you know repeated governments have sort of not done anything about it. But then when they did start talking about it, not really achieved tangible action that had an effect in the mental health community. Yeah. So um, yeah, I thought I'd become an MP, um, <laughs> and uh, having sort of never voted before or yeah. even been to Westminster, it was. Quite, quite an experience and it has been ever since really it's been yeah. pretty relentless and non-stop yeah so I know you spoke about OCD in your childhood yeah. um, can you give a bit of a background on how you think that kind of started up how did it manifest itself yeah um, and then what kind of coping strategies you, you developed I suppose yeah I mean um, my OCD I think came around from a, a sort of um, very strict religious upbringing um, that essentially um made uh, I guess fear and anxiety was a big part of it um, so it was we were constantly sort of reminded that um, it, it was very strict mm. but it was um, you know there were elements of sort of someone's always watching you so that not only did you have that strictness at home but also then when you went away from home you mm. would do these big brother <laughs> rituals yeah you do these rituals and you do do things like um, around um Religion, religious things, sometimes prayers and so on, but then washing your hands, and it manifests itself in basically any sort of OCD-ism that anybody's had, I've pretty much had. Yeah. Whether it's, uh, yes, hand-washing the basic ones, light switches, taps, to hearing uh, children in bins and all sorts of madness that yeah. uh, goes on when you're fighting through that sort of scenario. Yeah, so I know someone very close to me who had pretty similar OCD, and it was right, okay. hand-washing to the extent where they were bleeding and yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, sort of it was a pattern that you had to do it for a certain amount of time yeah. and if anyone interrupted start again, start again. yeah absolutely right um, so it was around that it was around water you know I was convinced that if I had a dry throat at night my um, my throat would seize up I mean yeah. it's just all I mean looking back now it's uh, 
pretty funny. Um, at the time, I mean, you know, the World Health Organization still ranks OCD as the fifth most debilitating illness in the yeah, world. Yeah, I can really see. Um, and it, it, it can totally paralyze yeah. the individual, and that's certainly what it did to me through my growing up years. Yeah. Um, you know, getting sort of three, four hours sleep a night um, is going to be really tough uh, yeah. for anybody. And, and it's actually that insomnia that, that is what what starts to really push anybody over the edge yeah. I think is that inability to sleep or to relax the mind and switch off is the is you know is the sort of factor that really yeah. gets people I think so how did you kind of learn how did you build coping mechanisms into was it well, for a long time I didn't know what it was so I just thought that I was mad and that one day I'd kind of snap out of it you know? yeah. I didn't realise what it was at all um and I remember a girlfriend telling me actually that I had um, I had OCD. Yeah. And when she told me that, I it also dropped. Into, I looked up what OCD was, and um, it sort of dropped into place that that's what I that's kind of what I had. And then once you recognise what it is, and you know these are proper sort of medical conditions. It's not you feel one way or another. You can when you see it there in black and white, and you get an insight into what the illness is and what you can do about it and the treatment you can get it's at that moment so you know that's why I'm so sort of passionate about advocating for um, awareness uh, and just general and more sort of uh, willingness to openly talk about it because mm. there are you know why do I talk about it now is it easy talking about mental health of course it's not um, but there are plenty of little boys up and down this country like I was I'm afraid who are wrestling with this process at the moment and I want them to know that it's okay that there is help out there that we take mental health seriously clearly we have a long way to go I will always accept that but I don't want them to feel like they're on their own yeah so in the case of the person I knew particularly in his exams he would not be able to turn over the page of his book until he had literally gone through every single word if someone disturbed him you'd have to start the same page again yeah. so it really affected kind of his school school life but through through cognitive behavioral therapy with a therapist yeah. he um he went to university he's he's no i don't want to say fine but he's yeah, no, he's, got, he's got he's got through it, it got through it yeah, yeah absolutely so would you say starting in the army and that kind of training that you got i i think you've said that that was kind of a release from it almost yeah, I mean, it, it was in a way because you get so tired and your senses get so overloaded. Um, but, but also you become very close with other human beings mm. who may be very brave and try and talk to you about this stuff. And you realise, I think, you know, even more so when you have a family, but you certainly realise when you start in the military the effect it has on other people. Mm. Um, and essentially how unhappy it makes you. Um, in comparison and how tough you find life in comparison to other people and it was that kind of contrast that certainly made me seek help and then when I started going to Afghanistan and through the system of war fighting yeah it just um, you know it just sort of fell away yeah so I suppose you just you wouldn't have time to kind of Think, or would yeah, it's you not still... a time. Th well, yes, it is a time thing in a way, but uh, your senses just get so sort of overloaded. Yeah. That um, it puts everything pretty sharply in, into perspective. Yeah. Um, and I think that is what uh, you know. What really um, perspective and insight is absolutely critical around mental. Yeah. 
That's why we talk about it. That's why people like me advocate for it. Because if you can get that insight, you can really tap it and you can really go for it and you can get better. Yeah. So what I want to know is how, for someone who you spoke about the kind of fear and anxiety, how you dealt with that in places like Afghanistan, going out on patrol, how was it it very... It was easier because if you're sleeping in a hammock in Afghanistan and you want to get up and wash your hands again, you can't because you you haven't got the water. No. So um, you just end up not doing it. It was like, whereas at school or wherever in a hotel, you can get up and wash as much as you want. And if you get through the soap, you just ask for another soap. Yeah. Right. So you can just keep going. But Afghanistan put these kind of, I guess it put the put these boundaries on me. You know. Yeah. And um, within those boundaries, I was much more comfortable. So I was much more comfortable living outside. Yeah, and basically, I would see myself as a bit of an animal in the military. So yeah. I was, I'd live outside. I'd, I'd live like an animal. I'd eat. I'd shit like an animal. Yeah. and then I'd fight like an animal when we were fighting. Um, and that balance between that, and then obviously when you come back into the real world again, you know your OCD sort of sort of started again. Yeah. But then I explored why in it was coming. You know, it was easier to deal with in the field, for example. And essentially, it was you know exposure therapy, which people know is, is quite a good thing. But that that's what it was doing to me. It was exposing me to yeah, uh, you know, to what is actually going to happen if you yeah. if you don't wipe your bum twenty five times. Oh yeah, so you, you can know. sort of rationalise what you're going out and dealing yeah. with versus yeah. the fear of yeah, exactly. not washing exactly. not washing your hands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and it's kind of <laughs> you don't realise it, but it's it's kind of in a way sort of enforced therapy yeah (laughs) yeah and did one of the big things I kind of think is really brilliant is camaraderie and friendship the ability to to kind of if you know you've got a group of supportive friends family whatever that you can fall back on and that they understand that it's much easier to talk it's much easier to to kind of feel better would, would you say that was yeah, what, I think it had. is. I mean, I was always very lucky with my friends. I, I had some amazing friends who were really understanding, and they tried everything. I mean, the trouble is when it really gets a hold of you. Yeah. Right? It's not something that you can just disregard because you're trying yeah. to make you feel better yeah. about it. When it is a proper full-blown condition. Yeah. I remember going to dinners with, you know, a friend, a big 200-people dinner. He was in a wheelchair, and we were raising money for him and we were going to have a great night and, and I just remember him coming into the loo and like banging on the door with yeah. his wheelchair just getting me to stop wiping my ass and come out to the party yeah and uh, yeah so I remember stuff like that and these were deeply understanding friends but ultimately very frustrated because it's not the sort of thing you know that's why you take medication to take the edge of it so you can put yeah. in to place the coping mechanisms that work um, but I wasn't doing that at the time. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's very similar to the experience I had with my the person that was close to yeah. me. It was the first few times I saw it kind of manifest itself. Yeah. I just couldn't get it. I yeah. just couldn't get why it was happening and why they couldn't stop washing their hands or stop yeah. the ritual of having to list every person they wanted to be okay. Yeah. And it's just quite hard to comprehend. But Yeah. I don't know how you can how you can give that perspective to people who haven't suffered it um, to allow them to help people 
It's the trouble is, it's a really valid point because I don't want mental health to be the sort of thing, uh, as it is at the moment, I still believe this strongly, that people only really understand it if it's happened to them or somebody mm. very close to them. And that's not really good enough because I would like to think I have some insight into cancer. I don't know anybody who's got cancer, but I have some insight into you know, what we need to do to treat it better. But we don't, we're not quite there with, with mental health. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, you kind of want to push through that if we are going to truly achieve that sort of parity of esteem that people talk about. Um, and that's a big aim at the moment, isn't it? Getting parity between yeah, it's physical... Yeah, it's a huge aim. I mean, we've got to be careful with the parity of esteem phrase because it's, it's clearly a, a fantastic uh, ambition, right? And you can't criticise anybody for being ambitious or the government being ambitious. But it has to mean something for people down in Plymouth who are looking for mental health um, treatments, for people across this country who suffer mental health. Parity of esteem sounds great, but what does it mean? In my mind, it means parity of provision. So that, yes, you, you know, if you get poor, if you get ill, you can go and see a doctor. If you get poorly and you need to top up your CBT or whatever it is, um, you can go and do that. So, so there is that parity, and people who are in the mental health community genuinely feel that parity. That is parity of esteem. Um, and we're some way off that. Mm. So yeah, well, when I tried to get my help from going to the GP, it was 12-week wait and no guarantee of how long the sessions were. So it was 12 weeks for someone who was suicidal. That was the wait well, it's time. It's clearly to... not acceptable. It's clearly not acceptable. And, you know, we are... The, the truth around this, I, I hate the way it becomes a, a, a political mm, argument. Yeah, completely. The, you know, the truth is, we are putting more money into mental health than we've ever put in before. The reality is, is that we started right at the bottom. Yeah. Right? Where there was nothing. And that's that's the crime in all this. Yeah. And, of course, could we go faster? Would I like to go faster? Of course I would. We're now, you know, the five-year forward view um, the NHS talks about around um, GPs and around mental health is looking at reducing the need, the unmet need in mental health from one in four to one in three. Okay, that is quite significant. That is a lot yeah. of people accessing, but it's still two thirds of people yeah. who are Can't not being yeah. helped. That is the scale of the challenge we face, and people misunderstand that and they throw it around like it's a political football. Yeah, all these, you know, and, and it's it's not right um, because it, primarily because there are some brilliant people up and down this country who work in mental health, right? Who work their absolute bones off trying to help people, trying to set up systems that work, and it is not fair on them for us to always say that there is no mental health treatment in this country when no. there is. Um, but primarily what concerns me is that sufferers think there is not the services there. And yes, they're under pressure, yes, they should be more, but there are there. there are, yeah. And you can go and get help. Yeah. So moving on to kind of military and veteran health in specific, I read the stat in your book that, I think it was in 2012, more serving in... And uh, veterans yeah, committed lives. suicide yeah. than were killed yeah. in combat, and that just that really kind of struck a tone with me. And yeah, that's that I can kind of understand yeah. why that's what made you want to go into politics quite yeah. a lot. Um, and you said that it was kind of tokenism almost dominated the approach to yeah, veteran absolutely. care. Yeah. And is that do you want to just kind of describe that? Yeah, that? I just feel like you know, I and I still feel it to an extent, you know, that the. The idea of the sort of broken veteran is quite lucrative for a lot of people, right? Because they can set up a charity, they can, 
do all these things. And I, and I just feel that if we weren't tokenistic about it, if we didn't talk a good game but didn't follow it up properly, if we if we um, talked about the seriousness of mental health, but then I, I still know people from that period who had appalling treatment when they were seeking help for mental health problems. Um, and that gap between what you say and what you do is... Uh, is, is tokenism essentially um, and you only have a certain period of time I think to, to close that gap and I think we've kind of blown our opportunity with too many people um, I, th- I think like I say I, th- I think we are we are getting much better at it um, but the kind of politicisation again of veterans is extraordinary that you're either sort of you know, a hero with a gallantry award, or you're broken and nothing in between. The vast majority of us are in that middle sector. 95% of us are in that middle sector. Um, you know, what are the problems with that? It means that people, you know, automatically assume that veterans have got some sort of PTSD, which is not scientifically possible, and also not the case. It means that that will be shielding other conditions that you're not going to get help with. It will also mean that those who have PTSD yeah. don't want to come forward because they see that this. PTSD thing is now a, a, a badge that basically people want to get to say they've been in the services. I mean, it's an appalling state of affairs. But I spoke about this last week, and you get absolutely smashed for it. But I'm yeah. happy with that, and I'll continue to have yeah. that fight. And it's not like you're saying that veterans don't have some kind of mental health issue. Well, why on earth would I say that? I've been through this process myself. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've seen it with my own eyes. But we have to have a non-emotional, evidence-based driven approach to a veteran strategy that is not because I, that's what I want and I think it's a great idea, because it meets the need of the veteran. That is the whole binding premise behind this, is meeting veterans' care. And so, you know, if charities are set up, it's, it's like this libel fund, right? Loads of charities set up, off the back of the libel fund, set up a charity, and because the money was there, basically. And a lot of it was done around the charities, rather than looking at the veteran himself and saying, you know, for example, the, how you access the care. If I can't work it out as an MP, how on earth one of my constituents down on one of the estates working nine to five in a bloody difficult job with a wife and children two years out of the military, how on earth he's going to navigate it is just beyond me. Mm. And um, I just feel that, you know, if we had moved beyond tokenism, that would have changed. Yeah. So that was a big reason why you wanted to come into into Yeah, it's pretty much the driving reason. Yeah. Yeah, um, and what kind of what kind of things have you been able to, well, not suppose implement, but talk about in Parliament, talk about uh, and do to to kind of improve both the mental health and mental health slash health of veterans. Well, I think I, I think uh, you know I came in. Um, pretty strong on this stuff particularly after my, my maiden speech and David Cameron was very yeah. good on it um, and I thought we were beginning to get somewhere but the truth is that politically kind of everything's changed and what that does mean is that the sort of bandwidth of uh, government is, is taken up by other issues and the harsh truth with some of these issues quite a lot of these issues is that um, is that uh Whilst no one likes regulation, there is a place for regulation mm. to protect vulnerable individuals from exploitation and abuse. Um, and that can only come from government. Nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else is going to enforce the fact that if you want to receive public money or go and shake a tin for veterans on the streets, you must abide by really basic things like practice evidence-based care. So that we know if a veteran is going to that charity, 
there is a better than average chance they will get help yeah. and will get looked after. And it's a tried and tested and method. A, and, it, and it has an outcome, you know, that, yeah. that you can see. <laughs> you know, we're not literally just like chucking money down the drain. Um, you know, so, and, and I try to do that. And I, I feel like we have made progress. It's a fairly opaque process. I've seen the government take on a couple of my ideas, like a veteran's gateway. But it, it's not, uh, again, there's a lot of sort of virtue signaling around it. So in my view, the veteran's gateway is a great idea, but it's been brought in in a way that uh, has not brought everybody with them. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'll be able to put the majority of the work and so on, and great for them. Um, but if you're truly going to um, re- reform this sector, you need to bring everybody with you. And it's a tough ask of leadership. Of course it is. Um, but And I'm not convinced that has happened with the Veterans Gateway. But yeah. I hope, you know, it will be. Yeah. Aims for the future working in Parliament and mental health and Veterans Care? <coughs> I'll, I'll stay here as long as I can, have an effect and yeah. make change, yeah. yeah. And I don't know where that's going to take me. What would be your kind of... If you were talking to someone, just a person, say, without uh, any diagnosed mental health condition, what would be your, like, top tip for keeping good balance in your mental health? Treat your mental health like your physical health. Yeah. If I want to be healthy, I'll stop smoking and go for a run. Yeah. I if, think, yeah. If, you know, with mental health... You, it, you have to, you can't just chin it off. You have to take it seriously. So you have to make sure you get enough sleep. You have to turn your phone off at 8, 9 o'clock in the evening reading a book. You know, this stuff isn't just going to happen. Yeah. Like mental health is, some pe- for some people, the majority of people, good mental health is just a gift. It just happens, right? Some of us, some people get cancer, some people get leukemia, some people get mental health problems. And you have to work at it. And you have to accept that and then just get on with the work. Yeah. Um, and that's what I would I would encourage people to be much more accepting of uh, their mental health condition that it's not terminal that you can and you will probably get better yeah there are very few conditions that will finish you off when it comes to mental health um, and just never give up never yeah. give up on it and almost when you do get through it like the perspective you tell have tell everyone else about it yeah it's so valuable yeah if there was a guy like me in the media when I was a little boy at school I'd, I'd be happy as Larry yeah I'd write to him I'd, you know it'd be great but there wasn't no I didn't know I didn't it didn't it didn't come across my bowels yeah where can we find out more about what you're doing here in parliament and uh, my website in Plymouth. yeah perfect thank you very much Hi guys, just a quick reminder that we aren't trained psychologists or psychiatrists or therapists and if you're having your own problems, don't hesitate to go and see your GP or use the services of charities like Mind or Calm or anything like that.